And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. Jack Benyon from The Race here, your host, and I'm going to give you a quick outline of what we've got coming up on the show today. First of all, we've got a very, very special guest, Joseph Newgarden, after winning the last two Iowa races. He joins the show to talk about what makes him so special at Iowa. Funnily enough, the uh, the Indy 500 winner, Newgarden, listened to our pre-weekend pod uh, about Iowa and uh, totally agreed with JR's outline of what makes him so special at Iowa. But Joseph does go into a bit more detail on some of the things that he's doing and um, keep some of that detail to himself, let's say, as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, JR's uh, assessment was was accurate, so that's good. Um, make sure you listen to our pre-weekend pods because they are valuable and Indy 500 winners listen to them, so keep an eye on that. Uh, we also asked him his favourite oval stat from his many uh, achievements that he's had this season alongside winning the 500. He's won eight of the last 10 oval races, which is an uh, incredible stat and joined a very special club. Uh, with his number of oval wins in a row. So we'll talk about that a little bit more and also what it'd be like to have Nashville as the season finale in IndyCar, which is a story that we expect to be announced on Thursday the 3rd of August. So uh, next season we're expecting Nashville to be the final round of the championship and don't worry, the track layout is going to change. So uh, anyone who's worried about the uh, kind of abrasive nature of that race and the kind of unusual outcomes it can throw up, uh, a bit like Marcus Ericsson coming from the back in 2021 and winning the race, then um, there's at least an opportunity that the new track will be um, a slightly more normal street race, let's say. We've also got Christian Lungard coming up on the show, which means we've got the winners of the last three IndyCar races on this episode for you. So Christian's going to tell, tell us about his new Lego collection. Uh, he's also going to tell us, obviously, about winning his first IndyCar race back in Toronto, which feels like a while ago now. And we also asked him what would be a successful second half of the season for him based on a uh, very strong first half of the season, but also uh, still a lot of work to do at Rahal Letterman Lanigan, who, of course, failed to qualify for the Indy 500 with Graham Rahal. So there's still plenty to do with that team, but Christian's been part of the spearhead pushing it forward, and the win is just the latest thing uh, to prove that they're doing some good things there behind the scenes, and that, um, yeah, we're going to find out what he thinks is the key for the second half of the season to improve. So without further ado, over to Joseph Newgarden and JL Hildebrand's joining us. He was late, so apologies to Indy 500 winner Joseph Newgarden for our co-host being late to the podcast. But uh, Joseph took it in good faith. So here we go. Joseph Newgarden, welcome back to the podcast. We haven't had you on since you won the Indy 500 and now you've gone and won two Iowa races. So I feel like every time you win, we're just going to have you back on the pod to come and chat with us about it. How do you feel about that? That's great for me if that's the deal. Um, I, hope, I hope I get to see you guys all the time then. 
<laughs> it's the one way that you would actually like to see us is that if we were, if you win some races and you get to come back and see us. How did you enjoy Ed Sheeran? I saw um I saw your hat bouncing up and down in the VIP area, and I knew it was you because I saw the number one on the side of the hat, and you were the only person who won last weekend, so I knew it was you. In the were you in there? No, well, I was just I was just stood in like the main like the normal people bit, not like the posh <laughs> VIP bit where all the cool guys go. I don't know. I mean, the, I would I gotta say the the whole area there in front of the stage was I, I thought pretty good viewing. I only went in there because that's where my wife was. I was trying to figure out my wife was in the VIP area. Okay, <laughs> she was very excited. Scott McLaughlin was in there with with his wife and some friends. Um, but it was I I must say Ed Sheeran is incredibly talented. You know, I, I, maybe that I don't need to state that everybody in the world knows that, <laughs> but when you get the opportunity to see that person live, he, he is tremendous. I mean, he doesn't have a band. He, he literally makes all the beats himself and, and just does the whole show single-handedly. It's, it's very impressive uh, to, to see, like, if you don't believe someone puts in the time, the effort, and they're, they're really realizing their, their talent. I mean, he just displayed that full, you know, full front and center for everybody. <laughs> Let's get on to IndyCar. I guess um, the first question I wanted to ask about was basically the, well, you've won eight out of the last 10 oval races now, but I think we speak, we've spoken about this on the pod recently that especially like the two short ovals, Gateway and Iowa are so different. Obviously, uh, Gateway is quite flat and smooth and Iowa is obviously very banked and bumpy and then Texas and Indy kind of speak for themselves a little bit. What are the most important things and, and what techniques do you use, do you think, that kind of set you aside? Because it's one thing to say, Joseph Newgarden's won eight out of the last 10 oval races, but it's almost like the oval races are so different between them that there's, you know, there's lots of different aspects to it. So it's kind of interested in how you kind of analyze yourself from that perspective. Uh, they are, you know, when, when I think of gateway, the mechanical package of the car, the feel of the car is like a total 180 to Iowa. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're really not similar in those respects, but I think the racing style, there's a little bit of carryover. You know, with most of these short ovals, you got to be aggressive. They kind of, they run kind of like a road course, if you will, just, you know, a super speedway is different. I think you got to be really high on the finesse. Like you just got to be really respectful of the movement with the car. Cause it's just on such a, it's on the limit so much. And so often on a super speedway that it's not about being aggressive with the race car. Whereas, you know, gateway in Iowa, you're a lot more loaded up. You know, e even nowadays where we've taken downforce off the car, they're sliding a lot more. They're still more loaded than a, than a super speedway. And I think the ability to be at aggressive, be aggressive with the car at a moment's notice is really the key. And you do that in different ways between Iowa and Gateway, but this that trait I think is still similar. If you got to move, you got to be confident to move, and you got to be confident that the car is going to do exactly what you want in any lane. Like that's that's really just such a critical bit. So I, I guess just just kind of jumping in on that, like I had we had talked on the, you know, our post race pod a couple of days ago, just, you know, Jack was asking me what I thought about, you know, what what sort of separates you at Iowa in particular. And one of the things, you know, one of the things is kind of your approach to getting through, you know, to to analyzing the traffic that's ahead of you and kind of, you know, we, we talked about that and, and I won't I won't go into detail there because it's not super important to what you just said, but something that I want to ask you that kind of is relevant is the other part of it. I thought was that I feel like watching you and, and we've sort of been teammates briefly, you know, through this period, as you've started this ascension towards being the guy that's crushing on ovals here. Um, one of the things that I feel like goes into it and, and I guess you can just correct me if I'm wrong or react to this is 
I think I, it feels like you really know what you need from the car to be able to do what you know you need to do with it, basically, come come race time. So at Iowa, you know, you've got to be able to use both lanes. You've got to be able to manage traffic. You got to be good at the end of stints and at beginning of stints without burning the tires off early. I mean, how much are you, how much do you put it in terms of your performance and your success at these places? How much of that is just, you know, performance and execution once you're out on track versus like, you know, kind of putting yourself in position ahead of time to be able to go do that, if that makes sense. I mean, it is definitely a combination of a lot of things, right? Like I, I, it's, it's not one singular thing. I think there's a, there's a couple little nuggets that I'm surprised people aren't picking up on, to be quite honest. Um, Like, I think if you looked at the race breakdown and you go, okay, well, you know, how is this car approaching it? I think you could see it plain as day on like what's being done. Yeah. And I just don't see people adjusting to that. Like, I don't want to call it out um, because I find it fascinating. Even people that I think are fully aware of what it is are not adjusting to it, which is the most surprising bit to me. But it's it's more than just that. It is it's a lot of things. We have a great car, which is critical. You know, I mean, you just can't you can only do so much as a driver to work around you know, a grip deficit or a consistency deficit with the race car. Like the, the, the race car has to have a solid base and we've always had that at Iowa. So that's, that's point one. And then I think it's your approach, just as you talked about JR. Like I, I think actually, I don't even need to go over it because I've heard your analysis of it and you, you already know exactly what needs to be done, like in all angles. So you've already covered it correctly, but yeah, then your approach has to be right. You know, how are you going to manage the stints? And then what are you looking for on the race car? And I I do have, you know, I mean, I don't want to be arrogant, but I do have a good feel on, on what I want from the car, um, which is really important. I mean, if you don't know what you want from the car, it's it's hard to build the right thing into it. But I, I think some of that just comes with experience. I've had so much opportunity and so much time on these type of tracks that, you know, I have sort of an idea of, of what I'm personally looking for and what's going to help me you know, um, get the most out of the car over the stint. So it's a lot of things. And I, I sit here and I'm like, we could break it down a little bit more. I just, at this point, I don't, I don't want to give it away. If people aren't (laughs) going to figure it out, then I don't want to tell anybody. (laughs) I guess. So I, and this, I'm not trying to put you on the spot on this, but, but it's something that I feel like I am watching the races and I've actually, I feel like I've, you know, noticed this more over the last, I don't know, like 12 months or something like since the middle of the year last year, not specifically about you, but it is something that kind of stood out at Iowa a little bit to me, even on like road and street circuits, you know, there's been, you know, we, when we just talk about like tire dag, like you're going to go to these places and you're, you know, at, at a road or street circuit that the red is, you know, or the, the alternate, whatever is going to have heavy tire dag. We've seen, I guess I, and, and I'm not sure what you think about this, but like, it seems to me that over the last call it year and some change like from last year into this year there just seems like there's been more events where the alternate has like massive deg over the course of a stint that like you're there's just it seems like there's been 50 percent more road course races road or street course races where guys are pitting for tires because they're just like falling off a cliff which i i don't know like i just don't really remember that being so much the case five years ago or something um 
thinking, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually just interested in what you think about that. Like, is that a thing? Like, is that, does, do you feel like that's happening? And then following up on that with that, we'll, we'll just say that that's the case. And certainly we know that that's the case at places like Iowa, just every stint of the race. It strikes me that there's a lot of guys that are just like, it's visually obvious to me watching the races that they're just like going ham for the first 10 or 15 laps of a stint and you're thinking surely this is not like gonna work good for you by the end of the stint <laughs> so i'm curious about your your reaction to either of those things i i mean all i can say is i think that's a that's a great observation jr um I'm, i think it's a it's yeah that's a great observation i agree with your observation um <laughs> with uh with respect to you know the, the last couple of years you're, you're so right like it has just, it's progressively gotten, you know, more heavy on where, um, you know, which is, I think, partly by design, you know, Firestone has been trying to find that separation point between the primaries and the alternates. And it's been, you know, a heavy, a heavier separation than, than we've had in the past. And we've been dealing with that. And I think it's kind of funny, you know, one of the races that I felt like we gave up this year, right? you know, Luke, Luke would agree to really all of us on the two car was Barber. And, you know, we, we felt like we were in position to execute and win that race. And, you know, we lost that to this sort of tire deck mystery. You know, we had the, we had the incident at the start of the race and, you know, there was, we were trying to understand was, was there damage or something going on, but I typically always enjoy when there's high tire degradation, you know, it's, it is a separating point, right. With the field. And it, it, it puts extra emphasis on the way that you're managing stints, just as you're talking about, you know, and, and how do you utilize the tires in the beginning, the middle and the end. And, and, you know, it's not always the same, you know, mix on, on how you distribute your, your usage of the tire. Um, but I, I've always loved that. And, um, it is becoming more of a topic. I think at Iowa, we, we, we tend to ex excel at that better than most tracks. You know, there's some tracks where we're, we're actually maybe not the best at that anymore, you know, where we've, we've got to improve our, our, our degradation um, profile and just the, the car's ability to look after the tire. So it, it is a, it's absolutely a discussion point. It, it's a lot more prevalent nowadays, like you, like you said, over the last couple of years. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. So skipping back to Iowa, um, you've, so you've been at team Penske. There have been nine races at Iowa since you've been at Penske. Will Power has outqualified you in seven of those races. Oh, JR, so, man. Take the uh, knife out of his back. <laughs> what, what the hell, Joseph? What is, is this like Will Power being great? Like, is this, you know, is, is he like, you know, Will Ferrell old school? I blacked out. I don't know what happened. Like, you know, he just, you know, you have no idea why he's so good there. Do you feel like you're missing something in qualifying? Like, Talk, talk us through this. Wow, it's that's so, it's so funny. You just you you gave that quote because there's sometimes we look at Will and I think that happens where <laughs> he doesn't even know what took place and he just <laughs> he just like came out of came out of nowhere and mythically constructed a lap and it's just it was a total blackout moment for him. <laughs> I can't even give feedback on what happened. It just was this amazing. And that's Will. You know, I, I think to his credit, you know, you, you can't take away that Will is exceptional at constructing and putting together a great single lap, you know, or, or two laps, if you will, in, in Iowa's qualifying. So that's part of the problem. 
or not the problem, but, but part of, part of what happened. The other part is that, you know, I just did, I did not do a good job, um, lining us up for what we needed in qualifying. And I got to tell you, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a sore subject for me because I, I hate dropping the ball. And I felt like I dropped the ball on the weekend, you know, preparing us for where we needed to be in qualifying. We, we were not in the right window whatsoever, balance wise. And a lot of that falls on me because, you know, you're trying to progress to that first session and you're just trying to accomplish a lot of things with just a couple sets of tires. You're trying to understand, okay, let's wake up. Let's understand Iowa again. Let's get a qualifying balance. Okay, then let's work on the race balance. Let's understand how the tires degrade. Let's also work some changes in here that we have year over year. We're also assessing the tire. It's it's a bit of a new tire relative to last year. So we're just trying to understand those changes. You're trying to you're trying to put all this together in one hour and a half session. And I think I didn't have a good enough read on on where I needed the car at 8:30 a.m. You know, the next day. And then it changed. It wasn't 8:30 a.m. Then it was. 10:45 when I ended up running. So, you know, there was just so much complexity to it and I just I wish I would have done a better job, you know, understanding and and directing with Luke where we needed to put the car because it's always a it's a tandem effort. You know, it's Luke can't just 100% know where the car needs to be by himself and, you know, vice versa. I I probably got more of a feel than he does just cuz I'm driving it, but it's you know, it's very much a, a tag team situation where we've we've just got to be on a good page together and come up with that right balance. And it was not right. And that's why you saw in race one, it took me, you know, it took us 100 laps to, to, to catch the front there just because we were trying to get the car in the right window. And we were already counteracting what, what, what had happened in, uh, in qualifying. We knew kind of where we needed to go in the race and, and what needed to, to take place. But it just took a little bit of time to get it right. And then I felt like in race two, you know, we were just starting from kind of where we needed to already be. And, and uh, it was a much simpler, you know, start. Just to super quickly follow up on that, Jack, sorry, is I don't want to make a joke out of out of willpower qualifying because it, it is like kind of it, it, I think the to me, the fact that he's been so good, especially in on these short ovals, like I remember watching him last year. It was at end of the, you know, it's end of the season. He's holding on to like a tight a tight championship lead goes out in qualifying at gateway and like tries to go flat through three and four, you know, on his first lap or or whatever. Like it strikes me that there's a part of, there's a part of him, at least in these places, like, you know, having been, having been, you know, pretty good in quality. I I sat on the front row with Will the last time I was at, I was at Iowa. I just remember like how much that, how much I had to muster to like, go commit at that level in kind of an unknown, you know, cause these weekends are really fast. Like you don't really get a good qualifying sim in the track changes a lot. You're you, it's not, you don't, you don't get to build up to it. It's one outlap. The tires are not in really. And you know, I'm, I'm I remember coming off a three and four with thing, just understeering like a pig. And you're like, all right, well, I don't know. I hopefully it just won't do that going into going into one and two, you know, like maybe that's just cause my temps aren't quite in. Um, and Will manages to like, you know, it seems like he really excels in those types of situations where you kind of got to just like ignore everything almost like, do you feel being, being one of his teammates, like, do you feel like he has just kind of a knack for, um, like not paying attention to, or, or his like just natural commitment level, his ability to go to that high commitment level is, 
just easier for him to do somehow. Or oh, something. Def- definitely. I, I think like that, that little aspect of his psyche, I feel like is super interesting. Oh yeah, I know. It's totally out. 70. He's put the car in pole 70 times in IndyCar for a reason. You know, there's, there is a common thread in there and it, it's, it's just willpower, you know, and his natural ability. He's incredibly talented. You know, he's one of the, the greatest race car drivers in the world. And so I think that's, that's sort of the most, intrinsic property to what is happening and and why it's being put together um and it's a little bit of a thorn in my side you know it's funny because i think will will looks at the races and goes why is why is joseph beating me in the races why i know i can do what he's doing why is why is he getting it done and on the flip i look at will and qualifying and i go why didn't i get that right i know i can do what will's doing and and he put it together (laughs) I mean, I would take the races over the polls, but <laughs> at the same, I I want to come back to ne- next year at Iowa, and I'm going to care more about the polls than I am about the race wins. That sounds a little stupid, <laughs> but it's true. At this point, I've I've messed it up so often that I care more about getting <laughs> that right next year than the actual races. It's not to take away from Will, but he is, and it's funny because I've 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 ended up excelling a little bit more on the race side when I think I'm naturally better on on an oval short oval specifically i'm more good at at just just putting together a really quick high speed corner that's that tends to be where my strength is on a road to street course too is in high speed sections so when we show up to a high speed oval like i love qualifying on a on a on a short oval because it's you know that's essentially what it is it's two high speed corners that you've just got to be super committed and will does a great job of just laying it all out there it's like whatever the car is going to have He's going to get it. And and I love that too. I, he's just done a better job than me about putting it together. And now I got to figure out how to, you know, reverse that. Well, it's supposed to be me asking you all the mean questions as a journalist and JR's here today just just hammering at you. I love it. It's great. It's it's good observations. <laughs> he turns up late for the pod after asking you to come early and then starts throwing shade <laughs> at you. You must you must have beaten him in an exercise challenge recently. It's like taken it out on you. <laughs> Well, anyway, Will is um, even after those two polls, you've still got a better qualifying average this season than Will. So if that makes you feel any better, there I've massaged your ego a little bit back to where we started the pod, and we can carry on with where we we're at. <laughs> I guess um, obviously we mentioned that you'd won eight of the ten oval races. You've also won five in a row, and you've won six at Iowa. So which of those are you most proud of? Which one's the biggest achievement there for you? I think without question the Indianapolis five hundred. You know because. You know, I take a, I take a ton of pride in the the team aspect of that event. Um, they're all team events, right? They they all have to go pretty perfect. You know, I, I was actually thinking about this on the way home the other day, and you know, it's so different than than other sports. You know, when when you're in football, let's let's just take that as an example. You know, you can you can make a mistake and really recover multiple times in the game. You know, it's not, it doesn't mean it's always going to work out, but you make a mistake in the first quarter, you can recover. You can even make a mistake in the fourth cover or so the fourth quarter and probably recover, you know, but in racing, there's, there's so few times where you can actually recover from a mistake and it puts so much emphasis on being a hundred percent perfect. I mean, it's just a lot that you demand of everybody to be a hundred percent perfect on the day. And I feel like Indy demands that more than any other racetrack that we go to. You've got to be 100% perfect on the day. Nothing can go against you. And you just got to get it right. And so I just take a lot of pride in, in that we, we, we nailed. I felt like we nailed it 
for the most part this year at Indy. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot more to it. You know, we had red flags at the end. There's a lot of intangibles, but you know, for what we could control, I felt like we gave a hundred percent and got it right. So that that is the most gratifying to me. So we're not trying to push you for an exclusive here, but there's obviously rumors that Nashville could be the final round of the championship next year. So in a hypothetical scenario where that does happen, Joseph, how would you feel about that being a, a the the last race of the championship obviously it would be on a different track so it wouldn't be you know quite the same as we've seen in recent years but what do you make of that well i am not a uh, penske executive i do not make these decisions <laughs> but i um i would you know i'd welcome that i think from an atmosphere standpoint i think in the event that that does take place then you know it'd be a great ender for everybody i think location wise it's it's really perfect uh, it would change the dynamic in the championship there's no doubt you know heading to a, a street course like like Nashville when everything's on the line, especially if it's a, a tight points battle, that could be pretty chaotic and stressful. But, um, you know, you, you, you'll end up dealing with it, and I'm sure it would be very entertaining for the fans. So I, I think from, from those standpoints, it's, it's really it would be a positive. Just give us a flavor of how you're feeling about the rest of the season now you've got those two aisle wins out of the way. Obviously, you went into that race, all of the – talk and the discussion was about you having to win those two races and obviously you, you didn't let that pressure get to you because you won the two races but obviously there was a lot of talk about it in the lead up and then now you've gone and done that um you're probably not so happy to see Alex Plow on the podium with you there in the in the last race but just give us an idea of how you're feeling kind of going into the into the title running here my goodness that guy is amazing you know I have <laughs> I have a tremendous amount of respect for Alex I think you know he's very deserving of what he's done in the sport, you know, I, I definitely consider him one of the greatest drivers in the world. And, um, he's in a great position, you know, rightfully so he's put himself in that position along with his team. And, you know, when you look at it, they've just clearly been the most consistent, you know, wh whether that's in execution, you know, maximizing their days, um, or it's just their, you know, their car's consistency. I, f I find that they're, they're good pretty much anywhere that they, they show up, you know, and it, it's not a hundred percent been the case for us. I think when you're looking at oval oval cars and race trim, there's nothing for us to complain about. We've had tremendous race cars on ovals in race trim. Um, we've been a little bit up and down on the road and street courses this year, you know, and, and we sort of know where some of our weak weak points are, and and we've been working really hard at addressing them in the short term and the long term. And some of that's been complex to do. You know, it, it's it's hard to achieve long term progress while you're also just trying to maximize the short term. You know, that can sometimes just compromise what you're doing on an individual weekend. And I think that's happened to us a couple of times this year where we've been, you know, we've really been trying to, to work on, you know, what we're doing over the foreseeable future. And and we just don't maximize, you know, the day here and now. Um, but it's, you know, I think we've gotten ourselves in a good position to give a great championship run here for these last five races. You know, I, I don't know how it's going to shape up. I, if I know anything, having been a part of IndyCar for 12 years, things change really quickly and suddenly. And I mean, you know, even if the next two races don't go right and there's three to go, even with three to go, there's things that can happen so fast. So I'm just trying to stay prepared. You know, I feel like I have the best of the best around me genuinely, you know, not just saying it to make everybody feel good, but we have such a great team. You know, my, my only sadness at this point is that I still feel like we're not reaching our potential. You know, and I've I've felt that for multiple years now, where the the potential and the ceiling of our of our car and our team is so high and so great, and 
I just, I want to figure out a way how we can, you know, reach that ceiling where we can really get to, you know, sort of the peak of, of what our potential is. And we're just not there yet. So it's a continual work in progress, but I think if we can be close to that potential for the end of this season, then, you know, we should be in a good spot to still challenge even with 80 points. Give us a, a quick flavor of that. We've talked about it on the pod before, but I think maybe people who are coming in from F1 or different championships and they see IndyCar, obviously all the cars are the same, sh- same chassis, um, similar bodywork and everything. So uh, I guess from the outside, everything looks similar. But when you're chasing something like you just described, or even when you're ahead and you've got a bit of an advantage, obviously there's the the whole damper development going on in the background. Obviously there's wind tunnel time done by the manufacturers and, and stuff like that. There's so much stuff going on behind the scenes, but you've got so little time to test and there's quite often runs where you've got four or five races back to back and you're, you know, hammering away at those, you know, how difficult is, is it to, you know, change what you're doing and, and, you know, improve or keep, uh, keep an advantage when you, when you've got that advantage. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways it's, it's, it's very difficult in IndyCar specifically to work on development items. Um, you know, on a race weekend, you know, looking towards the long term, because you're, de- you're detracting from what is most critical on an IndyCar weekend right now, you know, it is, it's so tight and so competitive that the tiny details are what matter. You know, I I can't waste a single run in practice trying to assess something for next year when I need that precious time, those precious five laps just to get myself in the rhythm for the very next run that I need to do, because just, you don't have a lot of time to prep yourself for that ultimate lap and qualifying that's going to matter. And like every run, every run is really, really critical because because everybody's within a couple tenths, you know, I've got to be perfect on the way I drive the car and we've got to have that, you know, perfect adjustment on maybe it's a front spring or, you know, it's, it's a ride height adjustment or it's a third adjustment or it's a, it's a, you know, center of pressure change. It doesn't matter what it is. They, they are all so critical to just get perfectly right. And so when you take away from that precious time you have on the weekend, you miss just one step, two steps, two steps, and you're just, you're done. Like it's so difficult to recover. And when you qualify now, you know, poorly in IndyCar, it's, it's, it's hard to make it up. You know, it, it's possible to make it up, but it's hard to make it up because of how tightly compacted the field is, you know, the way these races run, you know, just the, the opportunity to run from 20th up to first is really tough. You know, you, you gotta be starting in the top five to give you, to give yourself a really good chance on a road and street course to, you know, to challenge for the win on the day. And qualifying, if you if you're a tenth off, then you've lost ten places, right? So it's just even like a, what you describe as a bad qualifying can be like you're a tenth off the pace, and that's it. Like you're toast for the weekend. It's it's mad. Yeah, it's so true, and that, that's exactly what it looks like. I was just going to jump in and say, you know, it's it's it is interesting just for the for the context for you know our audience, like anybody who's who's looking watches Formula One or or used to. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that used to be like really engaged with the you know the kind of Porsche, Audi, Toyota era of LMP1 racing, all that kind of stuff, like these intense, intensive development programs. Like, I mean, my engineer at ECR in 2017, Justin Taylor came from one of those programs and he was basically like, look, you know, we would show up at the track and we would have some update from the previous, you know, we'd have some aero update. We'd have some, something that was like a development item that if we just got the most out of that, new part we'd gain six tenths so we didn't screw around with dampers roll bars springs like we didn't mess with any of that stuff because what's the most you're going to get out of that like a couple of tenths maybe so if you just maximize the development parts from the previous weekend 
then you're like, it's a, it's a huge leg up and, and that's what you focus on. And I think your insight is super interesting. I think for anybody that maybe doesn't quite have that, that kind of zoomed in look to what IndyCar is all about, because you're absolutely right. Like, you know, you could, you could screw around with a new front wing, you know, configuration or something in first practice, but you're just throwing away time that you, you really do need because every like half a 10th that you can extract out of the setup of the car is, is a huge difference maker. And, and that the weekends are like, even if you roll off the truck, well, you're a, I mean, Joseph, you can talk to this a little bit, but you're, you're like still having to adjust a lot to just stay in the window, which I think is the other part of IndyCar racing. That's kind of overlooked is like it, 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 it's not even just, what do you bring to the track? It's like you're saying, it's, it's not, it's not just bringing, bringing what you got to the track and kind of like optimizing it. It's, it's then being able to work on the fly to make those adjustments, to keep it there. Yeah. I think you, you it is a great way to contextualize it. The, the way you're talking about it, especially in contrast to like a series like formula one or, or prototype racing where, you know, typically the car is what it is and you have, these bigger separators between teams. But to go back to just the IndyCar example, it's happened a lot even this year where if you get one run behind, then you're behind, you know, and, and, and the way you get behind is that, oh, say, you know, I wasted a run on trying something for next year development wise. Well, then I wasted a run on, on not understanding how the track progressed, what I need to be doing driving wise, what we needed to do adjustment wise to keep up with the track progression. And like you just carry that one run loss throughout the weekend. It's, it's so difficult. You would think, Oh, well, you just catch back up. Like just, you know, you should just be able to assess how you're behind and then just counteract it. It's really difficult to do. Like everybody is so good. They're so dialed in, like they're hitting their points perfectly that like, you just got to keep marching your points forward with the track in step with everybody else. And hopefully you're just getting a little ahead of everybody. But if you you take one of those runs away and you're behind, you're behind. And it's like super hard to catch up. Joseph, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Don't throw any wins away knowing that you've got to come back and visit us next time you win uh, <laughs> to, to come back on the pod, okay? Make sure you win those races. <laughs> hey, pleasure as always. Thank you, guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology 
for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Joseph Newgarden there for you folks. A brilliant interview, of course, always with Joseph. He's always good fun to chat to, but also always has some fascinating insight into the IndyCar series that you don't pick up elsewhere. I found it really interesting to talk about some of the development work that he was discussing and how it's uh, really tough to do that in the middle of the season in IndyCar just due to the time constraints and things like that. So, um, yeah, great. Thanks for coming on, Joseph. Uh, We know he listens to the pod. So, um, yeah, we'll catch up with you soon and uh, we'll hold you to that uh, coming back on for for the next time you win a race, which hopefully won't be uh, too far in the future. Next up, as I uh, alluded to at the top of the show, we've got Christian Lungard, the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan driver, coming off the back of uh, a pretty strong weekend at Iowa, I would say. Um, we'll talk to him a little bit about that. We'll talk to him more about Lego and about winning his first IndyCar race. Obviously, a big achievement, a big breakthrough for the, the young Danish driver, one of the youngest drivers in the series, which is easy to forget when you consider how long he's been around in things like uh, F2 and and F3, GP3, stuff like that. So um, yeah, we're going to catch up with him, talk to him about the rest of the season, what it might hold for him, and um, maybe even ask him a little bit about Nashville. So here's Christian Lungard. Christian Lungard, welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. First of all, you've got to tell us about the Lego that you got for your birthday. I'm very excited to hear about it. Oh, the uh, the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's uh have you finished it's it actually it's actually uh, i have it was actually already done uh wednesday evening and no i did not just go flat out and build it i had uh four friends and obviously as you know the eiffel tower's got four corners four legs so we kind of build one each and i think 75 percent of it was already done monday <laughs> that was awesome which is, which is a little impressive and your um, yeah. your wrapping paper on the present had your car on as well and I, I found that particularly interesting because your delivery had changed tell us a little bit about how that that whole situation kind of came about you you changing the delivery of your car for, for iowa yeah i actually don't know how it all it all came together because um obviously we we had the the black and red uh high v car for for most of the season and and I was never really a fan of the car, and the, the spotters aren't either. They, it's it's very very difficult to to see, especially on the ovals when we because the car kind of blends into the track, and you can imagine Road Road America with a new uh, paved track as well. You know, it's it's very dark, and and a black car would kind of just fade into it. And and I was a big fan of the vivid car. Um, and then we came to Iowa, and it was suddenly a new car, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just drive that. Then. <laughs> I guess just give us a little bit of a 
uh, your kind of feelings and emotion after winning your first IndyCar race? I know you got obviously asked a lot about it after the race itself, but now you've had at least a kind of a couple of weeks for it to settle in a, a little bit. Just kind of give us your your kind of thoughts and feelings about that now, or has your mind just totally kind of turned to the rest of the season already? I mean, I, I I don't think I ever really had had time or wanted to spend time kind of realizing it. It was more um, okay. Now it's it's done. Let's let's get on. Um, let's get on with the rest of it. And you know, I didn't really look at the championship for most of the season. And then um, after the three weekends with good results, Road America, Mid Ohio, and then obviously Toronto. Um, we we moved up quite a bit in the championship, and we were we were catching up to the leaders, and, and then we had Iowa, and it kind of ruined it all. But um, we know we're going to, to tracks that we're strong at here at the end of the season, other than St. Louis. Uh, but the good thing about St. Louis, it gives us another opportunity to to see if we can find some more pace on on the ovals. So um, so that's good. But we we know we'll be fast in in Nashville. We know we'll be fast at the second GP. We were fast at Portland last year, and. We were very competitive in the race and, and Laguna last year and it's been repaved and we've, we've looked strong on, on the road courses this year. So there's definitely um, room for us to to move even further forward in the championship if we have a very strong se- end of the season. Tell us a little bit about Iowa because I guess the, the first race definitely didn't go to plan, but the second race was a, a better result and probably one of the better kind of overall results that, that Ray Hall have had this season. So did you feel like there was something that you you found there or was there a little bit of kind of circumstance going on there and, and stuff like that? How, how did that whole kind of second race play out and are you kind of happy with the improvements that you've, you've made there? Uh, yes and no. Uh, obviously, I know the I know the specific changes that we made and I know the, the specific reasons why we made those changes. Um, but it's, it's kind of, it's been a very, very tough weekend. Uh, we tested there and we found a lot of pace in the car and we were very competitive at the test as well. We came to the race weekend, obviously, uh, from what we we tested, and and we were just never there. Uh, the pace was never there, and obviously, from 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 Saturday to Sunday's race, we kind of unwinded some of that, and the, the car came alive again. So it's it's super frustrating in in that sense because you go down a a path in terms of development, and and you kind of end up unwinding it because it it turned out not to to be the better way. Uh, so it's frustrating, but. You know, these are these are the things you need to go through to learn, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess on a, a kind of similar note, what would be a, a successful second half of the season for you realistically now, do you think? Have you got like a set of targets or has the win changed anything at all in your your mindset or, or how you approach these weekends? Or is it a lot of kind of maintaining and, and, and kind of what, what would you be happy with if we come to the end of the season we're having this conversation again? I mean, I don't think there's anything I wouldn't be be satisfied with. We're already further up in the championship than we were last year. We've shown a lot of pace throughout the year and we've shown our competitiveness. And And I think, to be honest, that's the most important and, and the most we can we can really do with the package that we have. Uh, obviously, as a team, we're determined to, to move further forward. Um, but it takes time and it, it takes uh, development and, and we're... And development takes time, so... It, it kind of it's just a circle that you know that, that keeps going on and and we're trying to move forward but obviously after Toronto I was looking at hopefully uh at least finishing seventh in the championship if not further up um mm. and now you know being ninth after Iowa we knew it was going to be, be a tough weekend but I didn't think it was going to be that tough mm-hmm. um from from the test obviously the 
the the end of the tunnel looked uh, looked a little brighter, and then we came to the race weekend, and the performance wasn't there. So now we need to look at it realistically and and say what what do we really think we can do? But we have four out of the five weekends coming up where we know we will be extremely strong. So um, I don't think we 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 could say that in the beginning of the season for for the first five five races. So we we definitely can end the season on a high. We just need everything to to work our way really. Sure. I know a lot of the street courses in IndyCar are, are very different. It's a lot like the ovals in a way. I think, uh, you know, people kind of group them together as, oh, these these things are kind of similar. But some of the tracks that you go to, even if they are street circuits or, or ovals, require kind of totally different packages or setups or, or approaches or, or whatever. So I guess for the people who've seen you win in Toronto, what should they be expecting in Nashville? Should they be expecting you to be on the pace there? Or are there kind of characteristics about that track or, or how you approach it that make you think maybe um, it's not as clear where, you, where you're going to be after that one? Well, what's very interesting is the races this year that we've been competitive at, we were competitive at last year and the races we've struggled at this year, we've struggled at last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just stepped up our game on the tracks that we were competitive at last year and, and kind of stayed stationary at the, the tracks we weren't competitive at last year, which is which is very interesting. Um, and we, we struggle to understand it ourselves, at least I do. Um, but obviously, we were P1 in practice one at Nashville last year. We qualified third. The, the race didn't quite pan out our way and um, you know, th- those are definitely things that we want to improve for, for this year. But I think everybody can expect us to be fast at Nashville. Uh, I think everyone, everybody will, just considering that we were competitive at, at Toronto and we didn't really expect to be that competitive. I guess we, we had Joseph Newgarden on the show earlier and he was talking about, well, we asked him about the the development in IndyCar and how much you can do across the course of a season. I, I guess I'm particularly interested to ask you about that because you've got experience working with a, a Formula One team. You've seen the kind of rate of development that goes on in a in a Formula One season and how many changes you're able to make and, and packages you're able to bring and all that kind of stuff. And IndyCar is obviously a lot different being a, a single chassis series, but with, when, when you are going through some of these kind of ups and downs that you're talking about and you are kind of, um, you know, you've been better at some of the tracks you were good at last year, but kind of peaked at some of the other ones, what can you do and how much kind of impact can you have in a season? Because I think it's maybe not necessarily as clear to people who aren't in IndyCar how, uh, I guess, how many races we have back to back, how little time you have to to kind of work on things. So yeah, I guess give us a flavour of how difficult it's been for you to try and uh, help develop that package through the season. It's it's a very interesting question because obviously I think we all know how much development that's, that's being made in, in F1 throughout a season. And, you know, basically the development never stops in, in F1. And I think it, it's a very different approach in, in IndyCar, but also across the teams. Uh, it depends on what works for, for people and and also how, how big of a um, a project and, and I would say organization they have um, and, and the structure within the organization because at least on, on, on my car specifically within the team, you know, we, we found simplicity to, to work better for us. Mm-hmm. Um, in, instead of being too reactionary and, and you know, oh, we need to do this because it, it worked five years ago um, and, and, and kind of feeling the, the flow of the weekend and, and, and even just the the season. Um, and it worked for us at the end of last year, you know, just simplifying things for, for ourselves and it's, it's, it's worked for us again this year. I mean, in Toronto, we barely even touched the car from, from practice one to 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 the end of the the, the weekend and, and look where that got us. So I think sometimes it's very important not to to just react to to certain situations and scenarios um, and just see how it goes. Yeah, really. 
I know you're not a kind of person who lets things go to your head or, or listens to kind of outside noise too much, but have you noticed any difference since you won the race, people talking about you or, um, you know, kind of people, how they've um, judged your kind of move to IndyCar and how well you've done and as, as that win kind of, have you noticed anything change for you off the back of that? No, I think it, it's more um, now, you know, putting race winner uh, behind my behind my name, really. <laughs> um, I, I mean, obviously, I've I've had a lot of calls, a lot of messages from from people I've previously worked with within Europe, and uh, you know, it's even just telling me that it was only a matter of time. And I've I've always known that. I've always known that on 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 a single day where everything uh, works out, I don't think anyone will be able to beat anyone. So it's you know, if if you put me and and Palu up against each other, I know Palu is just extremely strong. He has very very few weaknesses and and that's 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 what's put him in in the in the lead of the championship you know he's just good all around and he makes uh, he's very consistent and he's consistently fast um where where this year I, I feel like as a team we've we've struggled to just simplify things and make things go our way and therefore you know we haven't had the results where when we have a package that is fast enough we execute and that's the most important uh, for, for our team. And obviously, you can turn it the other way around and say, okay, the weekends, we don't have, a, have the package. We, we definitely need to, to minimize the damage. Um, and then we come back to Iowa, which is a great example where we didn't. I mean, Saturday's race, we were completely out of the ballpark and, and the car was definitely not in the window to, to even do anything. And then we, we kind of unwind some of our changes and we come back Sunday and we're we're already in the shit, you know, we, the, the damage is done. Now we just need, need to see what we can do. And, and we did better. Um, but as a team, we need to learn better uh, from, from that. The, the lessons that that has given us, we, we need to, to use to better effects in, in the future. Well, we can definitely put race winner after your name now. Did you, um, did you treat yourself to anything? I know you, you got a very nice watch from, uh, from Hy-Vee and you've had some other gifts and stuff around your birthday, but did you, uh, did you allow yourself any treats after Toronto for, for winning the race or did you keep everything as normal? Actually, I, I still haven't, um, uh, celebrated any, any sorts of, of, of that win. You know, it's, it's just been, in continuous work, it's uh, it's been trying to focus on on trying to make my myself better as a driver and as the team better as a team and, and improve the package. Uh, you know, spending a lot of time at the workshop with with all the engineers and and trying to figure out solutions. And it's been been a big conversation going into Nashville. Okay, what what car are we going to start with? Um, what components are we going to add or or subtract from it? And and, and X X Y and Z. You know, it's it's always it's continuous work and i i feel like as a as a human being i haven't been on a lot of holidays the, the past many years especially after I, I properly started racing in in europe um just because i i rather want to focus on making making the best of what i got and then i can rest when whenever i have i have proper off time and, and that's where the indycar season is is great but also really annoying you know that's <laughs> You you have you have seventeen races in a in such a short period of time, and then it's it's a long winter break. But it also gives you time to recharge, and and I'm I'm waiting for for the end of the season to to really spend my time to to celebrate uh, whatever results we've we've had this season, the ups and downs, really. Who am I to tell you what to do? But I think you've earned an ice cream, mate. To be honest. Oh yeah, I've had one of those, but not not as a celebration. <laughs> 
Okay. All right. So we've had an ice cream. That's that's at least one thing to tick off the celebration. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right, Christian Lungard, thanks so much for joining us on the IndyCar podcast. I hope you all come back. And we said to Joseph Newgarden earlier that he now, because we haven't had him on for a while um, because he won a race. We said every time he wins a race, he has to come back on. So hopefully you win a race soon and then you'll have to come back on and speak to us again. Yes, sir. Sounds like a plan. On good form, as always, Christian Lungard, always a, a good fun uh, guest to have on the show. So uh, we thank him for coming on. It's uh, an interesting weekend coming up at Nashville. One bit of news we should probably uh, alert you to beforehand is that Linus Lundqvist will make his IndyCar debut, the reigning Indy Lights champion, now Indy Next. He'll make his debut with Maya Shank after Simon Pagano was again not cleared to race. Uh, that's um, another weekend in a row now after... Uh, mid-Ohio, Toronto and Iowa that he's not been cleared to race with a concussion. So we'll keep a close eye on Simon and obviously we wish him our, our best. It's um, it's it's never nice to see this situation where there's drivers making their debut or, or coming in and um, getting an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't have at the expense of an injured driver. So um, we definitely... Um, we definitely send our best to Simon at home, and uh, he was one of the uh, one of the first guests we had on on this season's podcast talking about the the year and how that might play out. So um, yeah, we definitely uh, definitely hope he he gets better soon. Uh, Linus obviously getting a big opportunity to step in and try and impress at Maya Shank. Um, that team obviously considering a lot of different options for for drivers for next season. I don't think any of their drivers are safe apart from I think Helio Castroneves will be in the team in some form. But um, as it as as it were, the two full time cars I think are uh, a little bit open. We think Tom Bonquist has had a deal since May to drive for the team next year in some capacity. So we fully expect him to be there. Felix Rosenquist is the driver who's been linked with them in recent weeks. Um, uh, strongly linked with them so we'll keep an eye on that and Linus might just get an opportunity to impress here in in Nashville so we'll keep uh, a close eye on his progress it's going to be a difficult one to come in uh, make your debut on a street course the last time he was there he did win in Indy Lights so that's at least some um, some strong precedent there for him he'll be looking forward to a good weekend aside from that the only other news that we'll be anticipating is that 3rd of August announcement that Nashville will become the last race on the calendar. We're also hearing that Milwaukee is moving a little bit closer and the people involved there behind the scenes, uh, some of the sources that the racers have spoke to are, are quite positive about the the Oval's chances of coming onto the calendar. So very exciting for those fans who are always calling for a new Oval race that uh, that's moved a little bit closer. Not confirmed yet, but we'll keep an eye out on that one and um, watch how that progresses. It feels like... Um, uh, that it will be on the calendar if it's not next season then in the future but it definitely feels like that's moving closer and that um, you know Roger Penske and his group are really keen to have another oval on the calendar so we'll keep a, a close eye on that but for now our focus is on Nashville one of the most exciting and unpredictable races on the IndyCar calendar I hope you enjoyed this episode with Joseph Newgarden Christian Lungard JL Hildebrand and myself and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Race IndyCar Podcast The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.